While you're turning to Galatians chapter 5, a couple things I want you to think about. You can do two things at once. If I ask you this morning, who do you love? Some names are to come to mind, right? So you're getting those lists, that list of names in your mind. Who do you love? I love, and you've got names, names, names. But then I'll ask you a second question. Who should you love? Who should you love, and is it the same list? And we'll come back to it. We started a few weeks ago reminding ourselves that one of the proofs that we are a disciple in John 15:8 is that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And so we were trying to figure out how do we bear much fruit? And from Galatians chapter 5, we figured out what the source of that fruit was going to be. And most of us know the phrase, be filled with the Spirit. We don't always know what it means. But Galatians 5 gives us some indications what that means. And so we saw some phrases, verse 16 of Galatians 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And those are phrases that tell us what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Do you walk by the ability given by the Spirit? Are you led by the Spirit, which means you're following Him? Are you living by what the Spirit is telling you? Are you keeping in step with the Spirit or keeping pace with the Spirit? It's what we're all supposed to do to be filled with the Spirit. And so then we talked about, well, how do we even think about doing these things? And there were two ideas we looked at. First, we have to make a decision to be in agreement in partnership with the Holy Spirit. Because Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together unless they are in agreement, unless they agree? And we had a couple other phrases from Romans chapter 8 which says we're supposed to walk according to the Spirit and live according to the Spirit. Those phrases mean I live in harmony with the Spirit. I live in partnership with the Spirit. I make a decision ahead of time that I'm going to be in agreement with the Spirit. Because if I'm walking with the Spirit, evidently, He's going to be communicating with me. He's going to be telling me what to do. And so I have to then determine to listen, to focus on what the Spirit is telling me. That's the only way I can walk with somebody, is to be in communication with them. And so we had another phrase from Romans 8, verse 6. I have to set my mind on the Spirit. I have to pay attention to what the Spirit is telling me to be able to walk in the Spirit. And if I do those things, if I walk in the Spirit and decide to be in agreement and I listen to Him and I determine to focus on what He says and that I do what He says, verses five, chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, the result is fruit, isn't it? Verse 22 of Galatians 5, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is how I know you're my disciples. If you bear... Much fruit. 
So this is the natural development, natural result of walking in the Spirit. And I reminded you, secondly, this fruit is of the Spirit. It's not natural. It's not learned. It's completely done by His power alone. It's done by Him through us as we walk in the Spirit. So then we have to start figuring out, well, what is all this stuff talking about? How do I even recognize this so I know I'm bearing much fruit? So we have to start with the first one, don't we? The first one listed, the fruit of the Spirit is, what have we been singing about this morning? If you paid attention, you were singing about this, weren't you? And you might say, why is this listed first? You realize it's not by chance that things are in Scripture. God wanted this in a certain order. And so first he lists love. And the other thing we talked about a month ago was you understand that this two verses on fruit of the Spirit are in the midst of a context of a passage that's reminding us how important it is to serve other people. Look at verse 13 of chapter 5. For you were called to freedom, brothers... Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. The basis for service is love. That's why it's listed first. I remind you, bearing much fruit is one proof for disciples. You realize love for other disciples is the second proof? By this, all people know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. That's the only way they know. So this is the first. This is the first basis for service. And I need this fruit to serve others because fruit is always for the benefit of somebody else. The tree doesn't bear fruit for its own sake. It doesn't for, the fruit is not for the fruit's sake. The fruit is for someone or something to come and take it and use it. And so if I'm showing this fruit of the Spirit, it's not for my benefit. It's for the benefit of somebody else. So love is first. Go back to 1 Corinthians 13. We'll see a second reason why love's listed first. I need that aspect to serve others. But secondly, it starts and includes all of the other things that are listed. I remind you, this is a package deal. It's not the fruits plural of the Spirit, is it? It's fruit singular of the Spirit. These are all aspects of one fruit. And the one aspect that includes all the other ones is love. You're in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, right? Verse 4. Here's the characteristics of love. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. We'll stop with that. Do we see the other aspects of love in here anywhere? Well, I see joy in verse 6. It rejoices with the truth. I see peace in verse 5. It's not irritable or resentful. Patience is easy. That's verse 4, isn't it? Love is patient. And then the next one, love is kind. Goodness, verse 6, it doesn't rejoice at wrongdoings. Faithfulness, verse 7, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Gentleness or meekness, verse 4, it's not arrogant. Self-control, verse 5, it does not insist on its own way. 
Why is love listed first? Because this is a package deal. And this is really the basis for service, but it's also the one that binds all the other ones together. This is one package when it comes out. Now, talking about love, we've got to define it, don't we? And you know, in the New Testament, there are lots of different uses of the word love. And what many people don't understand is the common word used for love is just a common word in Greek for love, and it's a verb. You're all waiting for the agape word. And it's a form of that. It's agapeo, and it's just the verb that you're committed to something, that you put something first. In context, it can be positive or or negative. This is the normal, natural way you love things. You love all sorts of things, right? It doesn't have to always be positive in Scripture. John 3.19, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light. That's still that same word, love. Or John 12.25, whoever loves his life loses it. If you love your life more than you love Christ, you lose it. Or 1 John chapter 2, don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, these are all the same word love. There, It's a common word. It's really a word dealing with what you have a preference for. Everybody in here loves some certain food, Right? You just naturally love a certain food, and you've grown to love that food. That's your preference, and your motivation is what's best for you, to your benefit. Normally, you love what's best for you, what benefits you more, and that's the common word used in the New Testament. But then the Holy Spirit had the writers of the New Testament do something extremely interesting. He took this common verb and used it as a noun, which we know the word agape. And other than one or two minor exceptions, every time this word is used in the New Testament as a noun, it always refers to God's unconditional love. Every time. So they took a common Greek word, made it a noun, and every time you see it, this word deals with God's love. The verb form deals with one or the other. Could be positive or negative. So this is the love that is the commitment of my will and resources to what's best for others, regardless of the cost or benefit to me. That's the love we're talking about. That I commit what I have to somebody else, what's best for them, and I don't worry about what it costs, and I'm not worried about if it benefits me at all. We'll see this more later. So this word, instead of a preference, this word is a projection of God's love. Whenever this word is used as a noun, and for those of you who don't remember your grammar, can't help you. I started out as a high school English teacher. I like grammar. But when it's used as a noun, the fruit of the Spirit is love, noun. It's a projection of God's love, and the motivation is you choose what's best for God and for others whenever this love comes out. But it must take the work of the Holy Spirit for this to happen. Now, as we try to get a better idea of this, where do we get this love? Well, it's obvious we get it from the Spirit, because we just read that, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love. But more than that, it's something you got at salvation. 
Because Romans 5, 5 says God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is why you can bear much fruit. It's not just a sporadic thing. You have God's love completely poured into you. It's one of the proofs that you are actually a disciple, that you want to show this love to somebody else because you have it in you through God. But again, never manufactured by me, only done by God through me. Now, go back to Matthew 22. Here's our question then this morning. Well, how do I know what kind of love I'm showing? How do I know whether I'm showing the normal, natural way I just love things, the preference way, that there are certain things that benefit me that I choose because I like them, and so I love these things? And how do I tell when it's a projection of God's love and it's from walking in the Spirit, so it's fruit of the Spirit? Well, first we understand where this starts. You're in Matthew 22, verse 34. When the Pharisees heard he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And he said to them, first off, you shall love the Lord your God. This is where the demonstration of this love has to start. If you have no love for God, you cannot have any agape love for anybody else. If you don't know Christ, then God's love has not been poured into your heart. You can only show the preference kind of love. The love that works to your benefit. So I start here with my love for God. But then I want you to see something else. How do we tell if our love then is this fruit of the Spirit? The first word I want you to keep in mind is the word unselfish. What's he say here? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Now, if he just stopped with this phrase, love the Lord your God, we'd have just thought it can be a preference because that word love is the verb form. So love the Lord your God when it benefits you. If he'd have stopped there, that's what we have. Hate to tell you, that's what most of us do. But then he adds the phrase, doesn't he? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and in Luke he's going to add with all your strength. That can only come with the help of God, with the help of the Holy Spirit. That will be a projection of this agape love on God because that means when I show this love toward God, I hold nothing back. I give all I can to what God wants at the particular time I'm showing love for him. Here's a question you won't like. Did you love God in your worship this morning? Or only the part you preferred? Because if I love God in my worship, it comes out with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. You ever asked, walking in the Spirit, ask the Spirit to help you worship God, love God this morning the way you should? Might change the way you worship. Well, it's not done though yet. A second is like it, verse 39. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And again, if you just stop with this first phrase, love your neighbor. Well, I can love him whenever it, I like it, whenever it benefits me. He doesn't say that. He adds a second phrase, as yourself. That takes a projection of God's love. That takes unselfishness because that means I'll do anything for them I would do for myself. I hold nothing back for them that I would do for myself if I'm showing Agape love, God's love, the fruit of love.
Keep verse 40 and look at verse 40 for a second. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Love is the basis for all the law and the prophets. You got that phrase in your mind? All the law and the prophets? Go back to Matthew 7. You'll see another verse you're familiar with. We sometimes don't connect it with love. Matthew 7, 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This also has to do with this idea of loving God and loving others. We call this the what? Who knows? The golden rule, right? And so first he says, it's the second part, do also to them. If he stopped there, it would just be a preference. I do it when it benefits me. But he adds something else, doesn't he? Do to them what you wish others would do to you. That's a whole different ballgame. That means I meet their needs how they like them met. It's not telling me you do for them the way you like it. Sometimes that's how, that's how people tend to read it. Do for them the way I would like it. No, he's saying just like you would like somebody to do things the way you need it done, If you're showing agape love, the right love, you do for them the way they need it done, what's best for them. How am I going to recognize this agape love when I'm walking in the Spirit and listening to the Spirit? He's going to direct me to do things in a way that's totally unselfish. Go back to 1 Corinthians 13. Second word, how do we tell if our love is the fruit of the Spirit, is the word unnatural. We have a natural way we love things. We just naturally love certain things. We naturally prefer certain things. You have a love for certain sports teams. Right? You pick up a preference for that sports team, and you love them. That's the natural way. There's an unnatural way of the fruit of the Spirit because it's not a natural way to do it. The first thing, the action without the right attitude is not of the Spirit. Did you see that? If I ask most Christians, is love the action or the attitude, most of them are going to tell me it's the action. It's meeting their need. Doesn't matter if I like them. Doesn't matter if I like it. Doesn't matter. I just have to do the action. Well, look at verse 3 of chapter 13. If I give away all I have, and the implication is I'm giving away all I have to benefit somebody else. And if I deliver up my body to be burned, again, the idea is I'm sacrificing my body for somebody else. If I do the action but have not love, I gain nothing. It's not just the action when it's this kind of love. When the Spirit is working, it's the action and the attitude. If I ask you what the opposite of love would be, most of you would answer what? Opposite of love is hate. And if we were talking about the preference kind of love, you would be correct. Certain foods, foods you love, certain foods you hate. I'm sure you all love spinach. Some of you do, don't you? Liver. I got you going. But the opposite of agape love is not hate. Look at verses 4 and 5 of chapter 13. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. The opposite of agape love is pride. 
The opposite of preferential love, the normal way we love, is hate. The opposite of agape love is pride. That's why in Galatians 5, right after the fruit of the Spirit, it says this, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's the law of love. For if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. The opposite of this love is pride because a proud person won't give what he values to somebody else. He won't serve others with the right attitude. He may do something for them, but the attitude is usually something that benefits him. If I'm walking in the Spirit and I'm showing this agape love, the action and the attitude will both be there in the right way. Secondly, it's unnatural because the attitude without the right action is not of the Spirit. With agape love, it's not the thought that counts. It's not you thought about it, but you didn't do it. If the Spirit tells you to do something, if it's agape love, you must do it. If you're using preferential love, you can take it or leave it. That's why 1 John 3 says this, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Now the first phrase, a lot of people tell me, well, because I have to love everybody, does that mean I'm supposed to meet everybody's needs, the whole world's needs? I can't meet everybody's needs. Well, you're never told to do that. The Holy Spirit will direct you to which needs he wants you to fill. And in this verse, evidently, He saw this brother in need, yet closed his heart against him. In other words, the Spirit had nudged him to show love for this brother, and he'd said, no. I love this guy, but I'm not doing this for him. Then you don't love this guy. We're told the same thing in James 2 with faith. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? You tell, I love you, and I'll, I, I know you got this need. I'll pray for you. But you have the ability to fulfill the need, and the Holy Spirit's nudging you to fill the need. It's not love just to pray for him when you can fill the need. And that's not natural, because we think, if I thought about it, that was love. No, it's not. The attitude without the action is not of the Spirit. It has to have both. And the third thing that's even more unnatural is the action and the attitude without all of the characteristics of love are not of the Spirit. So if I love you and try to meet a need that you have, and I'm going to show you agape love, but I'm impatient, or I'm unkind, or I'm irritated, or I'm arrogant, that was not agape love. All of these characteristics must be present any time this fruit is shown. That's how I know it's of the Spirit and not of me. That's why I have to walk in the Spirit and obey the Spirit and listen as He tells me how to apply the Word and who to look for that I have to meet a need. And then all my job is, with His help, is to obey Him. And when I do that, all this comes out. Not me, Him. So how do I know when this love is the fruit of the Spirit? It's unselfish. Secondly, it's unnatural. It's not the natural way we tend to love things. But thirdly, it's unusual. Because the fruit and the results of this fruit are of the Spirit and beyond our abilities. This is of the Spirit. 
And so when I, with the Holy Spirit's help, demonstrate this fruit of love, the first thing I will have is I will emulate Christ's example because he said in John 15, this is my commandment, that you love one another. How? As I have loved you. And if I ask you this morning, give me a list of how Christ loved us. You could come up with one, couldn't you? And he says, guess what? When you show this love, you will love others the same way I loved you. One example is in Ephesians 5. It says, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. How do I know I'm showing a God they love? With the Holy Spirit's help, I give myself up for somebody. That's unusual. Secondly, this love will be early. I had to find an E word. That stands for first. This love is first. That's not usual. We love God. Why? Because He first loved us. Our tendency is I'll love somebody after they've loved me. That's why we're told this in 1 John 4.10. In this is love, not that we loved God. That's the second. That's not what this love's talking about. This love is the early kind, the first kind, but that he loved us first and sent his son to be the propitiation, the atonement for our sins. This love always tries to love first. Thirdly, this love is energetic. Why don't you see this verse in three different translations? First Peter 4, 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Holman Christian Standard says, above all, maintain an intense love for each other. And New English Translation says, keep your love for one another fervent. Do you see the energy behind those words? Earnestly, intensely, fervently. When the Holy Spirit shows this love through us, it's energetic. It's enthusiastic. It's not a hassle to do it. It's not a drudgery. It's not a duty. I can't just go through the motions. If I'm doing any of those things, I'm not showing agape love. Because this love has energy behind it. And we know whose energy, not mine. The Holy Spirit. Fourth one may be even harder. This love is endless. You're still in 1 Corinthians 13. Look at verse 8. Love never ends. Love never runs out. Didn't you sing that this morning? That's why we're told this in 1 Thessalonians 3.12. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. With this love, you can never say, I don't have enough love to give. I'm out of love for that person. I can't show any more love for that person. With a preferential kind, that's true. With this love, never true. This love never runs out. If you're walking in the Spirit and listening to the Spirit, you can keep loving anybody. All you have to do is listen to the Holy Spirit and obey Him. And it will keep going. Go back to Luke chapter 6.
Here's another good one for this. How do I know it's agape love? It eliminates needing something back. Eliminates needing something back. You're in Luke 6. Look at verse 35. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. If I think I'm showing love to somebody, but I'm upset later because they didn't thank me, then I didn't show agape love. If I need to get recognition, if I need to get somebody to certify that I did this or acknowledge that I did this, and I'm upset because I don't get it, I didn't show agape love. Because when I show agape love, I don't care what I get back from them. Now, does that mean they won't thank me sometimes? Sure, they do that. But it means that's not what I'm looking for. And if I'm looking for that, wrong type of love. The verb form. I just like them. I prefer them. It's to my benefit, but it's not agape love. And the reason it's not because this kind of love exalts Christ's glory. It brings no credit to me. If I'm out to getting credit to me, I want to do this to make sure somebody acknowledges what I've done, then this is not love through the fruit of the Spirit. Remember what the Spirit's job is? John 16, 14, Christ said, He will glorify me. He'll take what is mine and declare it to you. That's how I know it's the Spirit's love. The credit, the glory goes to Him. I don't want it. The thanks go to Him. I don't want it. A prayer, Paul said in Philippians 1, this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Why? So they can look so spiritual? No, so you may prove what is excellent, so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's what you want to take place. You don't want glory and praise to you. You want glory and praise to God when you use this kind of love. And last, as we've seen, this is unusual because anytime I use this love, it emphasizes serving others. It's not about emotions. It's not about feelings, even though you may have some. It's not about what's to my benefit. It's about what serves other people. Galatians 5.13 is where we started. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But this love always serves This love always have others at heart, not me. That's how I know it's of the Spirit. How do I know it's a fruit of the Spirit? When I see it, it's unselfish. It's unnatural because it has all sorts of qualities I couldn't manufacture. And it's unusual because the results are completely beyond my ability. Now let's get back to our main question. I ask you first thing, who do you love? And you got your list of names, right? Well, here in Luke 6, who do we want to love? Look at verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Who do we want to love? We want to love people that are similar to us. 
We want to love, and this is our natural way to love, people who love us, people who do good to us, people who give something back to us or have given something back to us. And that's the normal people we love. And question, is that everybody who's on your list? It's only those kind of people. Because the reminder here is, I don't even need the Holy Spirit for that. He says even sinners can do that. Even sinners can do that preferential kind of love where it's to your benefit to love them. So this is not that kind of love, and these are not the people the Holy Spirit will mostly direct me to show love to. Well, who's he going to tell me to love? Who's he going to tell me to serve? Verse 27, but I say to you who hear, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, and from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, don't demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. There's that golden rule in the midst of it. Who might the Spirit direct me to show this love to? I've used the word S, scoundrels. Enemies, those who hate us, those who curse us, those who abuse us, those who will beg from us. What am I supposed to do for them? Verse 35, but love your enemies, do good and lend, serve them. Romans 12, he says this, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. What are you doing? I'm serving my enemy. Will you love your enemy? Because that's who the Holy Spirit is going to direct you to do. Go over to Luke 10. How about your social contacts? Anybody that you may come across with socially, whether you have an affinity for them or not. Luke 10, 25, a lawyer is testing him again. And so Jesus says, hey, what's written in the law? And the lawyer answered, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, your neighbors, yourself. And Jesus said, you answered right. But the lawyer says, trying to justify himself, hey, who's my neighbor? And what's the answer to that? The parable of the good Samaritan who in a social situation comes upon somebody in need and is directed to take care of that need. Anybody in social contact, you may have to help. We're told in Romans 13, Owe no man anything except to love each other. And the end says, Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. In Leviticus 19, this is what God told the Israelites. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. You mean when I come to church, God doesn't want me to just hang around with my friends? That the Holy Spirit may say, hey, that's a new person. Show him some love. Hey, that's somebody who's a stranger to you. Go introduce yourself to them. That's exactly what he should be doing if we're listening. We can talk to our friends anytime. But the Holy Spirit's going to nudge you if you're walking the Spirit and say, hey, do you know that person? And you'll say, nope, don't know him yet. I guess I'll pray for him. Well, that'll work. He'll nudge you to serve the stranger. You knew this was coming. He'll definitely tell you to love your spouse. Husband, love your wives as Christ led the church. The young women are to be trained to love their husbands and children. 
but to love them for their benefit, not for your benefit. Or how about this one? We've already seen it. The sibling, the brother, but not just other brothers, the ones in need. We saw that in 1 John 3. You see your brother in need. It's easy to love the brother who's not in need. What about the one who has a need that you're going to have to possibly meet, that you'll avoid because you're afraid you may have to meet that? How about those you think might be beneath you? We'll call them subordinates. Some of you think it's kind of below your level. Might the Holy Spirit direct you to love and serve their needs? Remember what Jesus was asked in Matthew 25? When do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king answered them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. As you showed love for them, you were showing love for me, people you thought were beneath you. And ultimately it's going to be the saints, isn't it? Any of the saints may come up, because he says in Ephesians 1, 15, talks about their love toward all the saints. We looked at John 13, where it says you have love for one another, but then he makes it ever worse in Galatians 5, because he said you'll love your neighbors yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out, you are not consumed by one another. Well, who's that talking about? Those in the local church they were in. The ones that without, instead of loving, they were chewing on each other when they should have been showing love for each other. Who do you need the Holy Spirit to help you love today? Which means that you need to serve them in some way. And if you're walking in the Spirit and you're listening to the Holy Spirit and you decide I'm going to be in partnership with the Holy Spirit, He's going to bring people to your mind as you go through the day and then the choice is yours. Am I going to obey and do what he says, and then he works his fruit through me, or am I going to say no? And if I say no, I can't fulfill this verse, because he's trying to get me to bear much fruit and prove I'm his disciples. He's giving me all sorts of opportunities throughout the day to demonstrate his love. I wonder how many will take advantage of. Who should be on your list for who you should love? With God's help. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your love for us. You loved us enough to die for us, gave us your spirit, and through your spirit said, you now, we now have the ability to love the others that you place around us if we just listen to you and obey your word. It's easy this morning just to walk out and do nothing. Don't let us do that. May your spirit prod us, convict us, show us somebody even this morning that we can get outside our comfort zone and show your love to them. We pray this in the name of your Son. Amen.